When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. They're here. Pardon me, boy. Is this the Transylvania station? Yeah, yeah. Track 29. I'm the dude. Play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. I go all misty-eyed when I hear that. This is Simon Rose. You join us with the Business of Film, where I'm joined by James Cameron Wilson as we have a look at what is hot and what is not in the UK box office, James. So where do we begin? Well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. So what would you like first? I normally like to get the bad news out of the way. Well, last weekend dipped by 28.7% from the previous weekend. However, October, as reported by Picture House and Cineworld, surpassed figures of the same month in 2019, pre-pandemic, by 127%. I think largely the reason the weekend is down, because we've got no big films in the top 10. In fact, there are no new titles in the top 10 at all. So I did see a film which is at number 15, which we can talk about after I sort of guide you through the top ten. So number one, we've got Eternals, which is Chloe Zhao's uh, very politically correct superhero movie, which I really enjoyed because I'm quite politically correct, I suppose. It made 2.9 million quid down 47%, but it had a very good opening. It's now already got a total of £10.6 million. Pounds. At number two, we've got a film called No Time to Die, which was at number two the previous mm. weekend. It's made over the best holdover to date, in fact, um, for, for No Time to Die, £1.6 million pounds last weekend, only down 21%, with a total of £92.7 million. It should actually, at this rate, pass the take of Spectre in just a couple of weeks. Uh, It's got a ways to go before Skyfall, which, as you know, made £103 million. Mm. But it's, it's biting at the ankles of Skyfall. At number three, we've got Dune with £1.2 million, down 25%, with a total of 189 For Spencer, which made £698,000, up 42%. But, but that's because it expanded to 650 locations, hmm. up from 183 the previous weekend. So you said that, that, that you hadn't been able to see that, so presumably that will be on your radar now to, to catch. I have seen it. Yes. You have seen it. Yeah, I saw, I saw it a week late just because it wasn't sort of right. out at a number of yeah. cinemas. And, of course, it's written by our, our mate Stephen Knight, and I think it's one of the best things he's done. It Ooh. is an extraordinarily impressionistic piece. 
And it's really a one-woman show with Kristen Stewart, who is bound to get an Oscar nomination, her first, at least, if not the Oscar. It, it is a remarkable piece. And having sat through so many fast-cut superhero movies, it's wonderful to see something. <laughs> the opening shot just really takes it time. It's time. And I just sat there and think, I don't mind. I'm happy to look at this kitchen. This is a really interesting kitchen. Mm. And then this frosty park. I said, bring it on. I will just sit here and wait for the drama to happen. And there are two other main characters. One is Timothy Spall as an equerry, who I, I think he looked rather uncomfortable. And I wasn't sure whether he was meant to come from Mayfair or uh, or Scotland. I mean, his accent is all over the, the shop. Uh, and Sally Hawkins is very good as Princess Diana's dresser, Maggie. Uh, but basically, it's a one-hander, whereas the members of the royal family appear like ghosts at the end of long corridors. And I, I suppose we've rather been spoilt by the crown, but I don't think any of, the, any of them look remotely like. I mean, Jack Farthing as Prince Charles. I, I, I think they could have chosen a lot of actors who look more like Prince Charles did back then. But I do think Kristen Stewart really captures the spirit of Di, and it's an extraordinary performance. And my heart breaks for her. A wonderful score, too, by Johnny Greenwood, who I believe also did There Will Be Blood. Uh, yes, it's almost like freeform jazz. It, it's a very unusual film that really does capture the spirit of Diana. And I think I prefer biographies which focus on one or two or three days. Yes, rather than trying to cram yeah, yeah. a whole lifetime into two hours. Anyway, at number five, we have The Boss Baby 2, Family Business. Just go back one second, just because I yeah. actually read an article this week, uh, not because of Spencer, but because of something else, about whether actors should look like the people that they're portraying. Uh, it was inspired, I think, by comments about Nicole Kidman playing um, Lucy, as in Lucy Arnaz. Um, oh, oh, okay, yeah. Because apparently there'd been criticism in the States before the film was seen, saying she looks nothing like her. And then people are now revising their opinion, saying, well, she captures the spirit of her. And that's the most important thing. So I don't know. I pass that on. It was quite an interesting article. If I can find it again, I will send it to you, James. So well, number five. Well, of course, with prosthetics being what they are now, mm. and Gary Oldman transformed into Winston Churchill. Yes. Of course, Gary Oldman looks nothing like Winston Churchill. Mm. You can get away with anything. Any actor can play any person. Mm. But I don't think they really tried to get Stella Gonet to play the Queen in right. Spencer to look like the Queen, other than she had the right hairdo. Mm. But back to the chart. Number five, The Boss Baby 2, Family Business, down 6%. Six, we've got Andy Circus's Venom, Let There Be Carnage, which was at number four, marginally better than the first Venom. At seven, we've got The Adams Family 2, down 24% for a total of 9.9 .9 million. At eight, yay, Ron's Gone Wrong has gone up. <laughs> by two percent it's beginning to hold its own and as you know i was a huge fan of this yes, cartoon, yes, one yes. of the best cartoons of the year along with the what would you call the mitchells versus the oh that wonderful what the machines thank you yeah that yes. wonderful netflix movie mm. which was my other favorite animated feature of the year at number nine we've got the french dispatch which has gone down one place down 21 percent 
starring practically everybody. At number 10, we've got <laughs> Last Night in Soho, down 31%, which was at number 10 last week. And we have a film at number 15, which luckily came to my local, mm. called Cry... Well, OK, last week I talked about a film called Finch that featured Tom Hanks, a I dog, remember. and a robot. This yes. week we have a film with Clint Eastwood, a boy, and a rooster. And it's been <laughs> right. a long time coming. The film adaptation, based on the late N. Richard Nash's own screenplay from his 1975 no novel, first began production in 1991 with Roy Scheider playing the central character of a former rodeo star. But then production was abandoned. Subsequently, many years later, Arnold Schwarzenegger announced that it would be his next film. Mm -hmm. But this too was aborted when Arnie's indiscretions with a household employee and her subsequent pregnancy tarnished his reputation as a credible leading man. And again, production was shut down. Now that the film is finally with us, it's hard to see why so many people were so keen to see it come to fruition. Besides the revolving door... What, of, what, it, what is it actually called? It's called Cry Macho, which I will get right. to shortly. But okay. besides the revolving door of leading men, which also included Burke Lancaster, Pierce Brosnan, and, at Clint Eastwood's suggestion, Robert Mitchum, a lot of roosters must have auditioned and lost their moment in the limelight. And the rooster is important in that he has the title role, Macho. That is his name. Eastwood himself plays former rodeo star Mike Myler, who, due to an accident in the ring, is... I think that's what you do call it, a ring? The, a rodeo arena? Anyway, his life is reduced to nothing but pain and disappointment, propped up with painkillers and alcohol. Then in 1979, he is given his marching orders by his employer, played by Dwight Joachim. Milo is none too pleased by this belated superannuation and turns on his boss, calling him a small, weak, gutless man. To say that Milo is bitter would be an understatement. But even though Eastwood, who not only stars in the film, but also produced and directed it. He does look amazing for his 91 years. One can't help thinking that Milo's employment by Joachim was more than munificent. Indeed, a year later, Joachim turns up to ask Milo a favour because it is clear he owes him. Having failed to retrieve his son from the abusive clutches of his ex-wife in Mexico, Joachim now turns to Milo to help bring the boy back to Texas. If the previous two men had failed in their task, it's odd to think that Eastwood had the wherewithal to achieve the task himself, being that he is an older gentleman. Be that as it may, he sets off for Mexico City, crosses the border without incident, although the scene at border control in which three young hippies are chatted up by the border officer seems gratuitously protracted. Anyway, Milo does manage to find the boy, Raphael, who is on the verge of turning 13, and convinces him to leave his mother and head back to Texas with him, on the condition that Raphael can bring along his pet rooster, Macho. And so the rest of the movie is basically a bonding exercise between the troubled teen 
and his aging chaperone, who, when the occasion arises, can still punch his way out of a contretemps. I mean, he's 91. But what the film desperately needed, I think, was another narrative strand, some kind of sense of threat, something else happening besides shots of horses running in circles, children playing, and Eastwood shuffling through the dirt. I could actually watch Eastwood for hours, mm. like observing an Andy Warhol film focused on a mountain crag as the sun gradually sets. More problematic, though, is Eduardo Minette as Raphael. He is not a born actor. He also looks significantly older than his 12-year character, as I'm afraid does Eastwood, who presumably was meant to be playing a much younger man, because I think when Roy Scheider started doing it, he was 59. Mm. Thus, watching Cry Macho, I mean, Eastwood does turn 92 on his next birthday, is a, I found it a rather sad experience. Eastwood is hunched and is constantly putting out a hand to steady himself, yet he can still win a confrontation with his fists. I, I just didn't buy it. I, I think there is a great film for Eastwood yet, but only if he is prepared to play his own age with all the frailties and senior moments that that entails. Michael Caine has been doing this for years, yes. although he did announce his retirement this year at the age of 88. I, I think it's amazing that Eastwood is still directing and starring in films at his age, but not when we are meant to believe his relationship in the film with a woman 39 years his junior. Mm. That is just Eastwood's vanity playing into the mix. And considering the current debate raging around such actors as Daniel Craig and Tom Cruise with much younger women, 39 years is quite extraordinary. In fact, every woman who sees Clint Eastwood's Mike Milo seems to want to sleep with him. Mm. At least he stopped taking his shirt off in his films. Wasn't that thank, long ago. Thank heavens, yes. No, I was really disappointed. Oh, I'm sorry, James. And it's been 30 years for this film to come out. <laughs> Let's just take a moment then for you to get over your disappointment. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. Um, this is Simon Rage. You're listening to The Business of Film. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. With James Cameron Wilson. Uh, so, James, we've got down to number 15 in the chart on the rather disappointing Cry Macho. Uh, where could we go now for our enlightenment? Well, I'm talking about my DVD of the month. And Christmas has come early for me this week. As you know, I judge every film by its genre. And you also know that I am not a huge fan of superhero movies. But then there's James Gunn, who is one of the most inventive and ambitious directors working in Hollywood today. I just totally get his vision and his sense of humour. This is the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, mm. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the last named currently in production. 
He is also the director of The Suicide Squad, which became the highest grossing R-rated film in the pandemic era, although that honour now disturbingly goes to Halloween Kills, which is the worst R-rated film of the year. So this is The Suicide Squad, which is out next Monday on Blu-ray and DVD. As you know, superhero movies seldom get a look-in at awards time, and each year a battle ensues between my head and my heart as I decide which film to allocate for the <laughs> London Film Critics Circle Awards. The award screeners have started to trickle in. Thank you, Netflix. But I have been tallying my awards favourites all year with Herself, Monster, No Time to Die, A Quiet Place Part Two, and Stillwater leading the charge, all likely to be ignored when the prizes are handed out. And I can now add The Suicide Squad to that list, as I genuinely feel it is one of the best films of the year. Why? Well, films are made to engage an audience. I don't care what anybody else says, and to entertain, which is a kind of byproduct. And The Suicide Squad succeeds on every front. Yes, it's one big comic strip of a movie overflowing with testosterone, but it fully succeeds at what it sets out to do, to achieve. And like all good films, it actually improves on a second viewing. It is, of course, a sequel to Suicide Squad without the definite article, the former being a somewhat mediocre ride, overextended and alarmingly unpleasant. Here, and what is the 10th outing in the so-called DC extended universe, James Gunn has taken the same characters and many new ones, including Sylvester Stallone as a dim-witted walking shark, but completely altered the tone. It is one of the bloodiest and most gruesome 15 certificate films I have ever seen. But because it is so funny, it is kind of, well, it's kind of valid. Monty Python got away with some very gory stuff, albeit without any state-of-the-art CGI. So if you know what to expect, you really are in for a treat. James Gunn, who also wrote the screenplay, knows his audience and has mounted a $185 million action comedy with unbridled verb. Anything goes, but it does so with great style, wit, and spectacle. For a start, you are not going to find actors of the calibre of Margot Robbie, Idris Elba, and Viola Davis in any old tosh. They Mm. obviously believed in this project. And for what it's worth, this is the bizarre story of a ragtag gang of mercenaries, each with a specific skill set. In the tradition of the Dirty Dozen and Inglorious Bastards, who are coerced into embarking on a suicide assignment to topple the anti-US government of a small independent nation. And they are a weird bunch, including Margot Robbie's outrageous Harley Quinn, the fearless blood sport played by Idris Elba, field leader Rick Flagg, Joel Kinnaman, and the rat-loving narcoleptic Cleo Cazo, played by Daniela Melchior, and of course, we have The Shark. Released next Monday on Blu-ray, it's my Blu-ray of the month, 
the film comes with a bunch of wonderful extras, which shows you just how much effort and money was poured into the, into the thing to make it look well, so effortless and fun, using the biggest sets apparently ever mounted by Warner's, in Warner Brothers history. As it turns out, there is not so much CGI in the film as one might have thought. One astonishing sequence involving a multi-tiered flood was shot for real, that is drenching the cast with thousands of gallons of genuine H2O. Another sequence sees Harley Quinn strung up from a ceiling where she manages to extract the keys to the padlock, shackling her hands by using her toes and then swinging swing her legs over her head to unlock the padlock. Now, in the screenplay, nobody expected the actress to be able to pull off such mm. a feat, no, no pun intended. But she reckoned she could, and she did it. She unlocked the padlock holding her hands with her toes. All this is revealed in the bonus material, as well as the fact that one sequence was inspired by Jacques Demy's The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. There is so much. <laughs> I know. There is so much in this film. Uh, it is just a joy. You have to have a strong stomach. I want to show it to a 15-year-old friend of mine. I know her taste. She will love it. But I think it's her father I'm worried about because he's not used to so much gore. But I think the tone is so funny that when people are gutted and cut in half, I mean, as I say, Monty Python has done it before. Okay, James. Well, that's The Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad, yeah. Yep. Okay, uh, what now? Well, um, sweet thing, I'm not talking to you, uh, in such a congested marketplace, so many wonderful independent features get lost. To be honest, I probably wouldn't have given sweet thing another thought had an enterprising distributor not sent it to me on spec. So I watched it last night and with a growing sense of foreboding. I found it quirky to a fault, and its use of familiar classical pieces like Arvo Peart's Spiegel im Spiegel mm. and Karl Orff's yep. Gassenhauer hackneyed in the extreme. And it's also pure melodrama. But bear with me. Shot in black and white and using speeded up film occasionally and iris wipes. And I think you know what an iris wipe is. Sweet Thing feels like a very old movie, and it does have a timeless feel to it. Then the intimacy and spontaneity of it crept up on me. It feels totally improvised and in the moment. It is directed by Alexandra Rockwell, who I know best from his 90s films, In the Soup and Somebody to Love. And he's cast his own children, Lana and Nico Rockwell, in mm. the leads. In some cases, this might be seen as brazen, a brazen case of nepotism. But the director has obviously established a shorthand with his young actors, which brings out an affecting honesty and naturalness. Lana Rockwell, as the 15-year-old Billy, named after Billy Holiday, in particular, is an extraordinary screen presence. And she gets to sing like an angel, too, both a song she wrote herself and the title track by Van mm -hmm. Morrison. She plays Billy, who has an alcoholic father, played by Will Patton. And Lana's Billy is forced to take the role of adult, cooking for both her brother, Nico, who plays Nico, um, 
uh, both men in her life. Will Patton's Adam still dotes on the children's mother, played by Karen Parsons, the real-life mother of Lana and Nico, but she's moved out and into the bed of a man who seems no better than her last choice. I will stop there, other than to say that Billy and Nico only really find any sort of happiness away from the grown-ups and embark on a spree of petty crime. And to complete the family circle, the film is produced by Jennifer Beals, Rockwell's first wife, Will Patton, and the actor Sam Rockwell, the latter being the only Rockwell in the film not related to the writer-director, <laughs> Alexander <laughs> Rockwell. But, but Sweet Thing really is a gem and debuted on Blu-ray this week. And it really won me over. I was just, I, I think largely because of Lana Rockwell's extraordinary performance. Well, James, thank you very much indeed. So that's uh, clearly, rather than go to the cinema this week, although if you see Cat Spencer, <laughs> that's obviously worthwhile. But the, yes, um, for home viewing, The Suicide Squad and Sweet Thing, that's it for this week from James Cameron Wilson. will be back with more business of film at the same time next week. We all go a little mad sometimes. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! We rob banks. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs>